The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Well, what a welcome. What a welcome. It is always an amazing opportunity to be back at Lifehouse Church here in Hagerstown, Maryland. Truly an honor. Uh, my whole entire family uh, has come with me on this trip, but I, I really believe in giving honor where honor is due, and I was going to do that until I just saw that video. Uh, <laughs> but Patrick and Laura have been really the reason that we're still doing this. You know, they are huge influences in my life and in my wife's life and just dear, dear people to us. Patrick uh, has been such a, a man of God and a spiritual father to me. Uh, and Laura has been the same to Casey, my wife. And so I, I just love them. And so uh, really, can you thank God for your pastors? You have great shepherds. You really do. You have incredible incredible shepherds uh, that are an, an amazing gift to this church and to this city. Uh, they say that if you show a picture of your family, people are something like 10 times more likely to hear what you say. And so I want to show you a picture of my family. Uh, and so uh, up here we have a picture of Caden, who is my seven-year-old. He's getting ready to go into second grade. And we have Rylan, who is my five-year-old, getting ready to start kindergarten. And then we have Makai, who is my three-year-old. And then the fat one on my lap is Asher. He is uh, 16 months, and we call him Chunky Love. Uh, and then my beautiful bride, Casey, I met her when I was a junior in high school, and she was a sophomore. And uh, we have been together. She has been the apple of my eye, the light of my life. She is the backbone, the strength, just everything that God could possibly provide in a, a soulmate and a spouse, she is. And so just an awesome, awesome family, uh, a great great momentum in our personal lives and in our family. And everybody says, you love kids? I said, nope, I love my wife. So we have, we have lots of kids and um, we do. We love our boys though, man. It is a, just an incredible thing to have these little troopers and get to create these men of God that I know are gonna uh, make great husbands, great fathers and, and great men of God to, to really lead in their own lives, whatever that means, whatever God has. But we are so, so pumped uh, to be with you today. You know, there is this concept, I think, in Christianity for those of you who follow Christ, maybe some of you don't, and you have an opportunity before uh, today is over, but there's this concept, I think, within Christianity that we get to where we believe that when we hit a, blo a, a block or a wall, that we say, I am praying about it, right? You, you say, man, you really have this financial issue, or we have this, this problem with a person in our life, and you say, yeah, I know, or there's a self-control issue, and so what you say is, man, I'm just praying about it. I'm believing God to do the miracle, you know, think about all the things in your life that maybe right now in this moment you're believing God to do a miracle in. The things you're expecting him to pull through in. The things that only God can do. But you know, there's, there's a lot of that concept that's really not even scriptural. Because what scripture teaches us is that God empowers us to do stuff. Right? So instead of expecting God to do all the miracles, he's saying, I'm going to use your life and work through your life and do a miracle by using you. Not by sitting back and waiting for me. And really the concept of this message is march it out. And it's this, this thought that we have to do physical things in our life to get the spiritual things accomplished. Now, you don't have the power in you without God, but with God, there's a supernatural authority and a power that, that he can do something through you that nobody will ever be able to understand or comprehend unless they give it to Jesus Christ and say, he is the only reason that this took place. Does it make sense? And I think it makes sense to us, but I don't know that it's something that really hits home and it's something that we practice. Because I know for me, and when I get in these tight spots in my life, the first thing that I want to do is oftentimes I just want to say, I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to believe the Lord to come through and do something miraculous. And I wait on him. And I'm still waiting. And then I'm wondering why stuff's not happening. I'm still waiting. 
Well, because God is saying, you're going to have to take some steps so that I can do the miracle. There's something required of you in this. You know, we could have prayed about planting a church and we could still be here at Lifehouse in Hagerstown having prayer services and fasting every week and believing God for a church plant in Virginia Beach. But unless God had empowered a group of people to take their lives and transplant it in Virginia Beach and we did media and marketing and build stages and design services to reach people, things would never have happened. Right Now, there's a lot of Jerichos in my life that I have not marched around. That'll make a lot more sense to you in a little bit. There's a lot of things I have not taken control over in the physical to say, God, you can do this spiritual. God, use me in a, in a great way. There's a lot of those things. But I think the concept I want you to understand is that we have a responsibility to do the physical things so that God can do the spiritual. Does it make sense? I want to read something to you out of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a book that Moses, he led the Israelites out of Egypt. Some of you may be very familiar with him. But Moses wrote this book, and it's kind of a recollection of stories to the Israelites of things that they had walked through, things that they had experienced, things that they had endured. And so Moses is writing in Deuteronomy chapter 1, and he's, he's giving them a little bit of a hindsight of, of what things looked like and, and kind of the road that they walked. And Moses is talking about after they had come out of, uh, out of Egypt and they had marched for about two years, they come to a place that is known as the promised land. God had this place for them, and he, and he gave this place to them. And so Moses is writing about this experience in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 19. This is what it says. It says, so we departed from Horeb. We went through all that great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites, as the Lord our God had commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has spoken to you. Don't fear, don't be discouraged. And every one of you came to me and said, let's send men before us and let them search the land for us and bring back the word of, uh, to us of the way by which we should go. So the story is, is trying to help you understand a, a couple of concepts. Because the people that, that Moses is writing to actually never got to the promised land. If you look back in a couple of verses, what the scripture actually tells you in verse 20, it says, this is what God is giving us. So what scripture tells us is that this thing was already handed to us. God already gave us this place. We actually had to go and take it. We didn't have to earn it. We didn't have to pay for it. God had already given it to us. We had to actually go and take it. Does this make sense? And so he's saying, this was already laid out for us. But then he goes on and he says, the land has been set before you. It's already been promised. And then it says, go and possess it. These people never went and took it. These people never did what God had called them to do. He gave them the land. He told them where to go. And he set the people before the land. He set them before it. But yet they never went and took it. Now I think in our life, we, we want to believe that God's going to do these miraculous things. But Maybe some of the things that we're praying about, God's already given us the land to possess, but we just haven't had the courage to take it. We keep waiting on God. You think God is that lazy that everything in your life you've prayed about that hasn't happened is because it just wasn't his will? No, I would venture to say a lot of the things that you've prayed about, the land has already been given you to possess, but you've lacked the courage. And I'm not trying to come on you hard, but I'm trying to say maybe if we took some of that responsibility back, instead of saying, God, why'd you do this? Who are you? How'd you do this? Why would you do this to me? Why would you hurt me like this? Why would you not do what I'm asking you to do? Maybe if we looked at our own lives and said, well, the reason that he couldn't do what I'd asked him to do is because I wasn't willing to take the physical steps to do the spiritual in my life. 
Maybe there's something more to this. Are y'all with me? Do you understand what I'm trying to communicate to you? Maybe there's some responsibility that isn't God's. Maybe he is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Maybe he really is the creator. Maybe he really is Jehovah Jireh and the great I am. Maybe he really is everything that he says he is and our faults have really fallen on us and not on him. The things in your life that you desire, I promise you God wants those things so much greater than you if they're his will. And he will do everything he can to see those come to pass. But you have a responsibility to watch it. You have a responsibility to physically walk those things out. There, there's a series of events that take place here. Essentially what happens is the Israelites, they come to Moses and they say, we don't believe that this is going to be a good thing, so we want to send all these spies into the land. And so they send spies into the land that God had already given them for 40 days. And the spies come back and they say, this land is everything that God said it was going to be. It's beautiful. It's, it's flowing. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. It's got all these things. But... It's fortified, meaning they've built some significant uh, military uh, prowess, and they've got giants. So let's go ahead and head back. And 10 of the 12 spies said, yeah, we, we can't take this land. This is a disaster. But two of them, their names were Joshua and Caleb. They said, no, let's take this land because they understood the concept. God is already giving us this land. He's already given this to us, and so we have a responsibility to go into it. Right? They already understood this, and so they, 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 they're trying to talk these, these ten into saying, no, we can go, we can make this happen. And Moses, God gave him the land to lead the people to, and when he gets there, instead of taking the land, he starts taking inventory. Instead of going and doing what God's asked him to do, he starts counting the cost. He starts now stopping to say, wow, this is a little bigger than what I thought. And there's a fallout that begins to happen. Number thir- Numbers chapter 13, we're not going to read it, but it talks about how there was this bad report that was given. And this bad report started to show them that there's this, maybe this desire in them for the things, maybe the way things used to be. You know, they start talking about, what if we went back to Egypt? That's a great idea. Let's go back into slavery. Let's go back and sit under the heavy hand of a, of a pharaoh who is demonic and dark. Let, that was a great life. You see what happens whenever you don't get what you want, you start... To, to fantasize and romanticize things that weren't at all enjoyable moments of your life. Addictions that you're free from start to look tantalizing again. Women that aren't your wives start to look good again. Men that aren't your husband start to become attractive in ways that aren't good. Because you start to romanticize what it could be because there's a hole in your life that you're not filling and God can't fill because you're not willing to be obedient and walk towards what he has for your life. And so we start filling it with junk, stuff, stuff that's not him, stuff that's not his desire, stuff that's not how he's, and stuff, stuff that he's not asked you to fill it with. So you get this bad report and people go back to their tents. Maybe we should just go back to Egypt. Y'all have done lost your minds. Go back to Egypt. And in Deuteronomy 1, if we kept reading, it starts to talk about now they, they doubt God. They're starting to doubt his promises. I mean, he led them through the Red Sea. He fed them when there was no food or water. He delivered them time and time again, and now they're starting to doubt his ability. And then in Numbers chapter 14, I'm going to read this. It's not going to be on the screen. I just want to read this to you real quick. It's just a, a verse, but Numbers chapter 14, he says, they say, we're going to just do this on our own. This is what they say. So these people, they're clearly not trusting God. God gave them the promised land, and they didn't take the promised land. Instead, they sent people to do inventory on the promise that God already gave them because they lacked the, the, the courage and the boldness of God to go and take it. They wanted to pray about their situation and, and about self-control instead of actually having self-control. They wanted God to do that for them. Instead of actually talking to their wife with honor, 
They wanted God to just fix their tongue in the middle of the night. Instead of God, actually, they wanted God to take care of all their finances instead of being the, the man or woman that actually looks at your bank account and only spends what you have. Like we wanted God to fix all this because it's your responsibility, God. In Numbers chapter 14, they say, we're just going to do it our own way. And what it actually says in verse 44 is it says, they presumed to go up the mountain. Nevertheless, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and Moses, they didn't depart from the camp. And the reason I wanted to read this to you is because the Ark of the Covenant was essentially a box that had the Ten Commandments inside of it, and it represented the presence of God. Now, it wasn't that God couldn't be a presence without that, but it was simply saying, this is my presence, and I want you to honor this because this shows the way you honor me. And so this presence in this Ark of the Covenant would go with them, and it would get set up in a tent, and Moses would approach this, and there the glory of God would come down on this tent when the ark was inside of it. And all the people would kneel at their tents as the presence of God and Moses were having this intervention. I mean, this is a powerful concept. But the people who didn't obey whenever God said, I've already given you your prayer, I've already answered it, but it's going to require something of you. They start backbiting, they start talking. The 10 spies that gave the bad report, they're dead. There's only two left, Joshua and Caleb. So don't be giving bad reports. You next. But it teaches us a valuable lesson is that it's not about how good you can do things. It's about if you have the fear and the reverence of a mighty God that's calling you to do them. And then they start, they, they start saying, well, maybe this God's not really for us. And they get to the point where they're saying, you know what, God, if you're not going to do it for us, we're going to do it ourselves. And we don't care if our authority in Moses even goes with us. We don't care if Moses accompanies us on this. He's the authority you've laid out. That's fine. We'll skip him. We don't need him. And then you know what they said? And we don't need your presence either because we're leaving you at the camp. And they start marching on their own. Now, of course, they get bamboozled and they get completely destroyed, and so it doesn't work out for them. But what God says is, listen, this generation, I am not going to allow to see the promised land, so it's their generation. The generation behind them, I'm going to give the opportunity to see the promised land. So they wiped out the entire generation. They spent 38 years marching in the desert. It was 40, but God gave them two years for the time already served as a nice fella. And so they start marching around the desert for 38 years, and they come to the place in Joshua chapter 6 where the new breed of Israelites, this new generation, is now standing at the same place that their parents and their grandparents stood, and they didn't have the fear or the they had, they were, they had a lot of fear and discouragement. They didn't have the courage to march across and to take the land that God had already given them, but yet their kids were saying, we don't want to go down like that. It's the same request, and God's answering it the same way. The only thing he needed was somebody to say yes. These people are not going to do anything more supernatural. They're not going to have any more DNA of the king in them that makes them better. They have obedience. And they have a desire to do whatever it is God's called them to do. Y'all understand what I'm trying to communicate to you? That's who God is. He's saying, listen, I just need somebody that's willing to look at me and say, it's not about me. And whatever it takes, I'm willing to do. It's not about you fixing my problems in my life. It's about me being a man or woman of God that's going to do whatever it takes. And I'll do the physical part so that, God, you can do the spiritual in my life. And in Joshua chapter 6, Verse 1, this is what it says. It says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. Now the reason that this is important, the reason that nobody went out or, or came in is that people were terrified of the Israelites because millions of people had just crossed the Jordan River during flood stage. 
This river would have been 100 feet wide, 10 to 12 feet deep, and millions of people just marched across this river. You better believe Jericho was shut up. People were terrified the Israelites are coming. There's a power and authority on them. And in verse 2, it says, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand, its king, and the mighty men of valor. You'll march around the city. All you men of war, you shall go all around the city once. This you'll do for six days. What he's saying is, you're going to march, but you're not going to fight. And seven priests will bear the seven trumpets of the ram horn before the ark. And then, but then he goes on, and he says, but... The seventh day, you'll march around the city seven times, and the priests will blow the trumpets. I love this part. It says, and it'll come to pass, when they make a long blast of the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of a trumpet, that all the people will shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. This is the worst military strategy in all of history. <laughs> I want you to take your warriors and the pastors. And I need y'all to carry this thing around the city. Oh, and y'all, you musicians, start blowing those bad boys. Let them trumpets eat. Let those horns go, baby. And I want you to march around that wall. And this wasn't a, a little march. This was a significant march. This is the worst strategy and probably one of the craziest things that God has ever asked any group of people to do in all the scripture. You're going to take this city, but you know why he told them to march? Because God needed to know if they were going to be able to take the city when the wall fell down. And they knew they weren't going to run into a city and take it if they weren't willing to march around it without a sword, but instead with the ram's horn. Aren't you glad you came to church? And that's crazy. Why in the world do I want to be marching around with some horn looking like I've lost my mind? I'm going to look nuts. Welcome to what it looks like to serve God. Let me explain this to you. If you're doing something that people can look at and see the smallest resemblance of you in it, it's probably not what God's asking you to do. When you're doing something that people think you've lost your mind, when God does it, they can only give God the credit for it. You think that there is... Any reason, rhyme, or fact that a wall fell because of millions of people marching in a circle? Now, I'm a huge sports fan, and there have been touchdowns that have registered on scales. I get it. But none of them made a wall fall down like this. And God is saying, I need you to have those pastors go out there and help lead you in this. I'm thinking, you have lost your mind because I'm one of them, and I, I'm not feeling it. I always felt God, sorry for the colonial guys with the drums. Like, they were the first to go. You know, you're out front playing your little drum. That ain't fun. Poor Yankee Doodle, man. Are, are you kidding? That is the most terrifying thing. I watch those movies. I'm thinking, poor, he's, he's bait. Man, don't even got a weapon. He's playing a drum. This is the kind of arsenal. This is the kind of picture of, of de destruction that is, it needs to be painted in your mind for you to understand what God was asking these, these men to do. Walk around in a circle and hope you don't get picked off by this powerful city. I mean, if you got a name like Jericho, you better bring your A game. I mean, this is a powerful city. But then I love what verse 8 says. And so Joshua, when he had spoken to the people, that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets and ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets. So what did Joshua do? He listened. 
Unlike the ones before them that said, let's send spies. You know what? This is crazy. We don't need the ram's horns. Let's, let's show them our knife skills. You know, let's hope they come out. But no, no, no. It says, it says he advanced the people. And it says, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed him. You know what that's a picture of? It's a picture of God being supernatural and all-powerful, but following the physical steps of a man who's doing what he asked him to do. And the spiritual is right there, but it's not leading the march, it's following them. Of course, God guides our way, and he's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I get it, but he's, he's leading him. And my question would be, what is your Jericho that God's asking you to march around? What is it he's asking you to march down and to, to call down and to call into a place of saying, you come into submission. I'm going to march around this thing and believe God for a great miracle in my life. What is he calling you to? What is it that he's, he's beckoning your heart for? Some of you may remember last year, whenever I came, I, I talked about a home that my wife and I had purchased, and it was in one of the most uh, violent neighborhoods in Virginia Beach. And it's a, 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 the largest housing project in Virginia Beach is right across the road from us. And there's one road in and one road out. And we bought a house on that road. And there's over 400 apartments, more than 2,000 people live in this housing project. And I remember when we moved in, I thought it was an awful idea, but I knew God had called it to us, called us to it. And so I remember being there, and I remember the, the first time we'd heard these, this gunshot go off, and all, this whole magazine had emptied in a gun, and somebody had gotten shot, and that next morning, this was like three months after we moved in, and I was in the shower, and I was weeping on a Sunday morning. It happened Saturday night, and I, I was like, God, why am I crying? Why is this such a big deal? And he says, because I want you to feel what I feel. Just a little bit of how I feel when this stuff happens. Because if you're going to have a heart for this community, you've got to carry the burden. And so my wife and I thought we'd live there forever, but last year God spoke to us in, in May to put our house on the market, and it really didn't make any sense as to why we would put our house on the market. But we did it. And so June and July, we had our house on the market in August, and we had 35 showings last summer and not one offer. My wife, we have four kids, and so she was about ready to take my life and take their life and, you know, everybody's life. Showing, baby. I'm not going to be home. If I could, I probably wouldn't because I'm terrified of you. But she was awesome. She was, she was, she was just, if you know my wife, she, she is the strong, so much stronger than me. I'm emotional. She's actually a good leader. You know, it's like that's the, kind of the way it is. And so she'd get the kids. She'd go out in 100-degree heat in Virginia Beach, play in the park for an hour and a half until everybody's about ready to pass out, and they're red and dripping with sweat. And then the realtor would call back, hey, thanks for showing the house. No offer. I think that's great. You know, light a match to it, something. Let's get out of here. I mean, it was getting to the point where I was like, there's no way. We haven't had one offer. We haven't had somebody even act like there's a possibility. So September comes around last year, and I really felt the Lord speak to us. We started to pray because my realtor called and said, hey, do you want to put this house back on the market? I said, I'm not sure. He said, three months is up. We're going to put it back on or not. You just need to let me know. He said, there's a lot of interest, but just no offers. I said, I understand that. God has a door, and he's closed it. I can sense it. I know he's trying to do something here. I don't like what he's doing, but I know he's doing something. And so I remember praying and asking God what he wanted to do with our house. And, and he said to my wife and I, he said, you can stay or you can go. Either way, I'll bless you. Saying, well, that goes against everything I've ever thought about God. And then he spoke to me and he says, if these people are your, are your mission and not your neighbors, you'll never do what I need you to do in this neighborhood. He said, but when they're your neighbors, they'll be different. When you see that you're not here just to minister to them, but you are them, then I can do what I want to do. I said, all right. My wife and I prayed about it. We knew we were supposed to stay, and so we stayed, and my realtor calls me the next day. I tell him, take it off the market. I said, hey, Brandon, I got this guy. Will you show the house one more time? 
I said, okay, Satan, I see how you work. How much are you going to pay? <laughs> oh, man. Even God's will is worth the price. Just kidding. I said, no, we're not interested, man. I appreciate it. He said, all right. Two minutes later, he calls me back. Hey, man, listen, they've already seen the house this summer. They just want to see it one more time. They're ready to put in a, an offer. I said, man, we're not interested. We're, we're staying. We're in for the long haul. You know, we're going to die in this house. It's our goal. He says, all right, you sure? I said, dude, I'm sure I'm dying here. It's all right. Calls me back, Brandon, I just told the realtor you're not interested and they said they don't need to see the house and they're giving you a full price asking offer. So you tell them to keep it, we're not moving. It's funny because a couple of months later I was talking to my neighbor who's kind of a pillar in the community and I'd a- he'd asked me, he said, what made you stay? I said, man, we just knew that God was calling us to it. We knew that we're, this is where we want to be, it's where we belong. And he says, man, this community was up in arms when you guys were thinking about moving. They actually knew, they cared. He said, yeah, he said, they were over here. And they told me, you've got to talk him into staying. And he said, man, this joker's a grown man with four kids. I can't talk him into staying. And he said, you know what they were scared of? They kept saying they're terrified that this place is going to turn back into the wild, wild west. And I, I never thought that we had any type of impact in a community that significant but then I had a remembrance of a story. A couple months after we moved in, a couple months after we had moved in, God woke me up in the middle of the night and he says, get up and walk around this house. He said, you pray. You pray for peace. You pray for my power to be situated and to, to be manifested here, that everybody that walks by will be drawn to the presence of who I am. This is my territory. So, Lord, I'm sort of weird. I got my bed pants on. And in God fashion, he didn't say anything, and so I got out and went out the door. And I started marching. I get around, going around that first time. I get close, around one. All right, Lord, I just pray for peace. I pray for power, looking around, kind of making sure I'm safe. Three in the morning, out in the middle of the hood with my bed pants on. <laughs> this time I got a little jog on, you know, because <laughs> it was odd. I said, God, I just pray for your peace. Holy Spirit, use us. Use, use my kids, use my wife. Help us to represent what the love of God can do for a family. Help all these kids across the street that don't have a dad to know that they don't need an earthly dad. There's a, a spiritual dad who is the king of all kings, and he's the lord of all lords. I, round two, round three's coming, and I'm making my lap, and at this point, I'm sensing the presence of a mighty God on me at three in the morning in the middle of the hood in Virginia Beach. And I begin to pray, Lord, use us, help us, make us, mold us, help us to be more like you, be our protection. I pray that, that your name would be made great in this community, that we wouldn't hear about the darkness, but people would begin to hear about the light and the things that you're doing. Round four, and I believe, God, that you are everything and more that you promised to be. You are everything that you have ever said to me. Round five, and I'm praying, and I'm crying, and I'm worshiping. And this time, it wasn't about a sprint. It was about letting God be the king of all kings in that moment and doing in me what he needed to do so that I could be used in a way that only he could use me so that my heart would be right but bigger than that he was doing it to mark his territory round six you are the best of the best and the greatest of great God I surrender all I give you this home I give you my kids
kids. I give you my wife. Round seven, God, we're going to take this city. We're not going to be a statistic. I don't want to be comfortable. I want to be a man on fire. But I pray that this property, this house, would be a beacon of light in a dark place, in a city of hurt, in a community of rage and anger and drugs. In Jesus' name. And I got to the door and God said, go to bed. Joshua chapter 6, verse 15, this is what it says. It says, but it came to pass on the seventh day they rose early, and at the dawn of the day they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day, they, they only marched, on that day, only they marched seven, around it seven times. They were just consistent. They were obedient. They did what God asked. It says, in the seventh time it happened, when the priest blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord's given you the city. Let's skip to verse 20. It says, so the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. The people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. The people went into the city, and every man straight before him, they took the city. There's two things I want you to know. First is this. I don't know what your life looks like. I don't know what your current situation is. But don't run away from what God has you run into. I believe it's the word from the Lord in this moment to know that you are built with his power in mind. I sense it so strong in my spirit in this, in this moment that you need to know that you are built to equip what you're walking through because his strength is what we need not our ability to endure a situation. You don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes to endure tragedy, but he does. You're built for this when you're working in his power. You say, well, what do I do now? I, need, I have this Jericho in my life. I need to march around it. What do I do? This is what you do. You put down your weapon and you wait for instructions. That doesn't mean you that doesn't mean you wait for, for God to do it. It means you wait for him to show you what land he's given you, and then you go take it. You know your Jericho. You don't need me to, to speak to you this message so that you know your Jericho. You know what that thing is. You know what you need to march around. You know what it is. And for some of you, today you're in this position where you just, you had this relationship with God, but it's no longer there. For others, you... You're listening and you're saying, I don't, I don't know the God that you're talking about. All of you online and at other campuses, you know this to be true. And you know in this moment that you're saying, I, I want the fullness of who Jesus is in my life. I, I want to receive him as the king of all kings and the, the Lord of all lords. I, I want him to be the starting point to these Jerichos in my life. I know that he's called me to march around a city and I, I want to be that. I'm going to ask everybody to take a minute and just bow your head right where you're at. Because I want you to do two things. One. I want you to begin to think about your Jericho. I want you to begin to think about the thing in your life God's calling you to march down. And I, the second is, if you know Jesus, I want you to pray for everybody. Everybody in the room, I want you to pray for everybody in the room right now that the Spirit will begin to speak and they will begin to listen and obey what he's asking them to do. I'm gonna make this very quick and very clean. I want this to be something between you and him. I, this isn't something that has to to be difficult, it's a, it's a decision, and all you have to do is make it in your heart. I'm not gonna have you come forward or 
do anything public at this time. What I want you to do is something private, but I want you to let us know this so that we can walk this road with you. And right now in this moment, if you're saying, I want this amazing king, this amazing God, I want him in all that he is. If, if this is where you're at, I want you just to slip your hand up and put it right back down just by saying, I, I, today, I choose. I choose to serve Jesus. Today, I choose to give my life. Whether you're watching online or you're at a campus this morning, I want you to take this moment and just say, I choose. Would you do that? Would you just lift your hand up and you can put it right back down? And I'm going to pray with you. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to say this prayer. Can we all say this collectively, out loud, with those making that decision today? Can we just say, dear Jesus, we surrender our life, our soul, and all that we are. We give you our desires, and we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.